I have to say, based purely on observation, some of you enjoy that way too much. Some of you are like, what was that? Now, for those that don't know, that was not a guitar, or if you pronounce it in bluegrass style, a guitar. <laughs> that was a banjo. Okay, it is a legitimate instrument. And if you were confused by the music style this morning, just Google hee-haw, and you will find where a lot of this comes from. Isn't it great to celebrate and just worship together? I want you to take God's word, turn to Nehemiah chapter 12. I'm going to read a portion of scripture first, and then we're going to get into some subject matter that I think is absolutely crucial in our day and age. Now again, for those that are new, the situation is a wall that laid in ruin for over 120 years is rebuilt. There's renewal happening both in the economy and building the houses, but also in their worship. There's a new commitment. Nehemiah made them sign on the dotted line. If you remember, they literally had to write down that, yes, they would do this and these things, and they would tie these things. There's a call for the people to inhabit Jerusalem. And now Nehemiah says it's time to celebrate. Now, when I read this passage, remember this. Did their circumstances change? No. There's still the opposition. There's still a ton of work to do. But it's kind of like Nehemiah says, listen, we have been pressing on all this time. Now we're going to take a time out. It kind of follows this Sabbath rest principle that you work for six and you rest for one. During the Advent series, we're going to be taking a look at rest, rest with God, rest with ourselves, rest with others, and rest with Jesus in terms of what Scripture looks at in terms of a Sabbath rest. But with that in mind, let's pick up Nehemiah 12. I'm going to start down at verse 27. I mean, the chapter has a bunch of names again, but I want to hit a key places that we're going to comment on. Verse 27, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, with singing, with cymbals, harps, lyres, and banjos. No, not that one. I added that one. Sorry. Got carried away. Look at verse 31. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall. So get this picture, this big wall. They're putting the key leadership up there. Appointed two great choirs. I'd be curious how many numbers were there because we're talking about a million people. So these choirs were pretty big. Appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. So the job of the choir was to sing Thanksgiving. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate. Now skip down to verse 35. And certain of the priest's sons with trumpets. And that just illustrates there's a lot of musical instruments happening here. Verse 36. With musical instruments of David, the man of God, and Ezra the scribe went before them. At the fountain gates, they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David. At the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north. And again, you see the principal object of the choir was what? To give thanks. They're singing this the whole way. And I followed them with half of the people on the wall. 
above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall. So get this picture. I mean, they're starting to form this celebration and these choirs are going north and south and they're singing the whole way up. They don't get up there and then everybody is quiet and they sing a special song. No, they are singing the whole way up. When I was in Zimbabwe one time and we were putting a roof on a church building, the people of the village, the ladies mainly, all day long just sang and circled the building, just kept singing. They kept singing praise to God. And they did that the whole time, except when they stopped to go get the goat, slaughter it, feed us goat meat. Then they started singing again after we got back on the roof. So this picture here is just not, you know, a service. It is going on continually. In verse 39, and above the gate of Ephraim, and by the gate of Yeshanah, and by the fish gate, and the tower of Hanau, the tower of of the hundred to the sheep gate, And they came to a half at the gate of the gourd. So the picture here is, this is a really big choir, big gathering, big celebration. So both both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God. And I and half of the officials with me. Now look down at verse 43. And they offered great sacrifices that day. And they rejoiced. For God had made them... Rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. So the picture here is this party was going on that loud that the neighboring towns were hearing this. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, the tithes to gather them, the portions required by law for the priests. And for the Levite, according to the fields of the towns. So again, here's the picture. Part of the celebration was what? They did what we just did. They're bringing their ties. They're bringing their first fruits. And this was so big and so grand and so sobralatory, they had to put guards up to guard this stuff because there was that much coming in. Verse 45, they performed the service of their God in the service of purification And did the singers and the gatekeepers according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers. And there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. You get the picture here? They stopped doing that. 120 years, the wall lay in ruin. Slowly these traditions went and they weren't praising. They weren't following what God had ordained them to follow. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel, in the days of Nehemiah, gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers. And they set apart that which was for the Levites. And the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. The year was 1998. A singer by the name of Fat Boy Slim. I don't think his mom gave him that name. He was from the UK. Had a hit song. Here's the title. I have to praise you like I should. And over and over again, now he wrote this to a woman, but 90% of the song is two phrases. I have to celebrate you. I have to praise you like I should. And repetitive and repetitive and repetitive, the whole song, and it became a huge hit. And I remember hearing that, and I thought, you know what? That'll preach. I have to celebrate you, God. 
I have to praise you like I should. We have to celebrate you. We have to praise you like we should. Say that with me. We have to praise you like we should. Now, I had to ask myself this week, what have I allowed to keep me from celebrating the life that God intends for me? What keeps me from praising God like I should? Now, we heard some testimonies this morning about their prior lives and situations and circumstances. But, you know, a lot of us are already in the family. And a lot of us have been following Jesus for a while. And a lot of us have lost, like Israel, this whole celebratory, this party, this praising kind of thing. And so what keeps us? And what have we allowed at GBC that keeps us from celebrating God? Praising him like we should. Now, another question I ask too, because I know some of you went through some pretty hard things this week. Is it really possible to celebrate and praise right now? You know, Nehemiah chapter nine, remember what he said in verse five? He says, stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Remember the double-sided confession? Yes, we confess our sins. Yes, we acknowledge we're sinners. We're saved by Jesus. But the other part of confession is we confess the truth about God. We praise him like we should. In Psalm chapter 42, verse 5, in fact, he says this three times. He says it in verse 11, but also in 43, verse 5. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? So he's talking about this emotional situation where he's just really struggling. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him my salvation. So the psalmist is saying, listen, you know, I'm I'm having a rough time of it. Things aren't going right. But listen, I'm going to choose to hope in God and I'm going to again praise him. I'm just going to keep praising him for my salvation. See, it's where we struggle. It's when our emotions are not there. When we don't feel like praising, when we don't feel like celebrating. And there's times that we're in the middle of some pretty intense and dark situations. Some people may know about some things we can't share. There's times, if we're honest, we're just bored. Our hearts are full of idols. And you know, when your heart gets full of idols, you get bored. I mean, those idols bring temporary excitement. But down the road, we just get bored. There's times our attention is focused elsewhere. There's times when we have these false ideas and expectations. It's like Melinda shared. She talked about she believed the lies of Satan. I was at a conference uh, last month, and a pastor by the name of Robert Madu out of Trinity Church in Dallas, Texas, talked about baptism. And he made a very interesting observation, and I want to share that with you this morning. But I want to read Matthew 3, because we just had a baptismal service, and this passage is about Jesus getting baptized. So Matthew chapter 3, look at verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And we can identify with John kind of like Jesus shows up. He wants baptized. We're like, no, let's reverse these roles. But Jesus answered him, let it be so now for this. It is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. 
Then he consented. That's good. We need to consent to Jesus. Amen? Amen. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now you notice three things God spoke. And you notice the Trinity shows up here. I mean, they're all here for the baptismal service. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. But three things God spoke to his son. Number one, I am loved. Number two, I'm a child of God. And number three, he is pleased with me. Think about that. I want you to say those with me. And and when Pastor Madhu preached those, he just kept going over and over. So say it with me. I'm loved. I'm I'm a child of God. He is pleased with me. So we have this grand celebration going on. We have this great momentous happening. But what happens immediately after? We picked up in Mark. Here's what it says right after the baptismal service. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. Water to the wilderness. And when you're in the wilderness, you have to know who you are. Who are you? I'm loved. I am loved. Say it. I am a child of God. He is pleased with me. You're a loved child of God. Now I have to pause right here and say this. If you're not one of his, it's about time you come home. I can get some more amens on that one, can I? If you're not one of his, it's about time you come home. Now, before we do anything else in this service, I know it's kind of odd to do it in the middle of a message. If you're here this morning, you're not one of his, and you say, you know what? I I witnessed this. I I witnessed the transformation. I feel God tugging in my own spirit, and I want to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to ask you to stand up right now. We're going to take care of business. So if you're here... Okay, we got two up here. Three, four. Okay. Greg and Tim, you got them? Okay, what's going to happen, guys, is they're going to take you to a room to sit down and really explain what's happening, okay? But this is the most important decision you're going to make today. So, uh, congratulations. So, if you want to go out the back... Just go to the back doors. You'll meet Greg and, Greg and Tim. How about that? Four in the water and four standing up. It really is party time, isn't it? <laughs> it's incredible that they can say now, I'm loved, I'm a child of God, and he is pleased with me. You know, it's in the water and the wilderness that we have to say, I'm going to praise you like I should. Now, I know this title, you probably looked at it, and some of you may have found the title confusing. You might be saying, well, where's the food? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe somebody was offended because there's a cake on the front cover. When we talk about partnering in the Old Testament, 
God called Israel to party with a purpose. You may not know this, but God ordained seven different festivals. Most were week long. And of course, if God's saying, listen, I want to take seven timeouts during the year, and I want you to focus, you got to ask why. Well, first is, each festival always reflected on something about God and his purpose. It was a reminder. So week-long reminder saying, you know what? We can't forget this. We can't forget this. The festivals were designed to think about gratitude and dependence on God for everything. Now this Wednesday, we're having a gratitude service. It's our Thanksgiving service. And I encourage you to come, and I'm going to tell you this right now. When you come, you're not going to have to listen to me preach. Now that should double the audience. Instead, you're going to hear Kevin Harmon preach. Now, if you don't know who Kevin Harmon is, then you need to come and find out. Okay? You need to come. I'm not going to introduce you. You need to come and find out. Hope got your curiosity going. But in America, isn't it so true that we have so much? And yes, we intellectually say, I I get I need to be dependent, dependent upon God for my salvation. But then we stop right there. And in America, we have so many idols and so much stuff. We say things like this. Well, I like to control. And so we start saying, I like to control my job and my politics. I like to control my family. I like to control my money. And you know, the truth is in America, stuff makes us weird. Amen? Come on. Time to confess. But our need to control speaks to our fears of being out of control. And that's a hard issue, people. It's a hard issue because we're not bowing our knee to the audience of one. We're not in humility submitting, saying, God will take care of us. It's a trust issue. But why seven festivals? I know what most people in Lancaster County are saying. What a waste of time. Think about all the work I could get done during those seven festivals. Again, there's two things you need to know about these festivals. Number one, no matter what you were experiencing, you came to the party and it was a time out in life. So yes, life was hard, but you got a breather for one week. And number two, no matter what you had or didn't have, you came to the party and everyone was on equal footing. There wasn't a special table over here for the people contributed more or brought bigger ties. Everybody got to eat everything. For that week. And if God is telling Israel. You need seven timeouts To focus on me. And just praise. And celebrate. What do you think he's telling us? By the way. Three to six percent of the tithe they sent in. Went to their festivals. I mean that was a lot of money to party. Now there's no shortage of ways. Life tries to stop us. There's no shortage of ways that life tries to render us incapable of following the bold plan God has for us. But we need to move past those ways and reasons. And one of those ways is we have to praise God like we should. Say it with me. We have to praise you like we should. 
2 Timothy, Paul writes in verses 6 and 7 in chapter 1, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but power and love and self-control. See, celebration and praise is not dependent on outward circumstances. And one of the ways we fan into flame our gifts is we praise him like we should. And celebration and praise affects our worship and our service. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, some of those translations says your spiritual service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. By the testing, you may discern what is the will of God, which is good and acceptable and perfect. What is his will? That we have to praise him like we should. Now, there's four strategies I want to give you this morning. The strategies are what we think about up here, okay? The renewal of the mind. A lot of stuff starts in our heads. And whenever we start feeling a certain way, we have to back up saying, okay, what have I allowed in my head? What have I allowed thinking-wise? What has been going on up here that has really resulted in this emotional state? But here's four strategies that are core to our praise and celebration. And we see them out of the book of Nehemiah all the time. Here's the first. It's God's presence. We go way back to chapter 2, verse 8. And Nehemiah kind of put himself out there. He took a risk. He could have died. But at the very end of it, it all worked out. And he says this, And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. I mean, he knew that God's presence was there no matter what happened. And one of the very familiar Psalms that we read, Psalm 23, I mean, here's a phrase that we should really memorize. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Anybody ever been there? You might be there this morning. But know what the psalmist says. I will fear no evil for you are with me. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God's presence, whether we sense it, feel it, see it, it is a fact. So a strategy of praising him like we should, he's always there. Number two, it's God's provision. Little verse in Nehemiah 11 fascinates me. Now we know that he got to the gate. We know the king gave him papers. We know the king gave him his forest because they needed trees to build the gates out of. And we're kind of like, wow, a king would actually do that to another nation who they conquered. But here's a little phrase in chapter 11, verse 23. Listen to it. It says, for there was a command from the king concerning them and a fixed provision for the singers as every day required. What's it say? Nehemiah got a hold of his king friend and said, I need some money. And what's the king do? He decides evidently to pay the singers every single day that was required. Talk about God's provision. I mean, this was not inside Israel. This was another kingdom. I mean, have you ever thought about using a king of another country to help pay for your worship? 
In Psalm 23, what does God say? The psalmist writes, you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. I mean, you get the contrast again. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death. You know, you're facing difficult situations. And what does God do? He gives us his provision. He prepares. He lays the table out. Says you anoint my head with oil. That's a healing thing. My cup overflows. You give more than I need. So there's God's presence. There's God's provision. Then there's God's promise. And everything that was happening here with Israel goes back to Genesis chapter 12. First three verses and says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That is the covenant God made with Israel. They would never be destroyed completely. They'd be the witness nation, which meant Christ the Messiah would come through them. But they're going to be an example of God's glory and God's power in this world. And we see Nehemiah walking into claiming that promise and saying, listen, God wants and God desires to be glorified. Then there's God's persistence. In this whole story of Nehemiah, and Nehemiah illustrates this, it's a God who never gives up. A God who will do everything and anything except, except he will not force his love on someone. And God is faithful, and God is, he never gives up, and his presence is always there, his provisions there, his promises there, his persistence there. Psalm 23, verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. And keep following me and keep following me and keep following me all the days of my life. And after that, it says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you know who you are? Do you know your love? Do you know that you're a child of the king? Then why are you dumpster diving on the streets instead of sitting at the banquet table? You know, I think it's time that we praise him like we should. Amen? Amen. We're going to do two things to close. I'm going to call the band up. We're going to praise him. More of that banjo stuff. No? Guitar? Guitar. Okay? And afterwards, uh, when Chris closes... uh, the individuals that were baptized this morning are going to be down here front. And I just want you to come and greet them and celebrate with them and, you know, get to know who they are. So at the end of the service, when he dismisses, kind of go this way. They'll be there and celebrate how we started this service. Let's stand and worship.